Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, when are you the real you? When do I keep it real the most? That's the- I think that I'm at the most real me, my most genuine self, when I'm scared shitless. I'll give you an example. I've actually been so driving. So the, really, the real you shits your pants? <laughs> well, no, but I've been driving. No, never. I've been driving with a suspended license um, for, right. for some time. And uh, the the focus that that gives you when you're driving is amazing. And so I think that like one of the things about being who you seeing who you really are is how you act when you're afraid because all of a sudden what's important the priorities kind of fall into focus. So if you ever want to see the real me just like Why do you me. have a suspended license? Why do we I don't feel like this is interesting for our listeners. <laughs> let's just say let's just say I was a year in Canada and I just didn't didn't a lot of drunk driving take, i didn't quite take care of the things that i ought to have before i left and so i came back to a, a this is why listeners, dave needs a steady girlfriend <laughs> that's that's true uh, or a personal assistant a steady girlfriend would not have let that happen she would <laughs> have know. either made you deal with it or taken care of it or something. it's true there's something about a partner who is just like they'll give you that look or get mad at you or or shame you really shame you into into taking yeah. care of those things oh and i didn't say i'm david bizarre from cornell university but that's who i am so today we're going to do top five movies about personal identity right. this is uh again that like i i would love to do this on a regular basis just do movies about a specific topic in right. moral psychology. Uh, and I would love to uh, have porn stars around me at all times. <laughs> but shit ain't going to happen. <laughs> Tam- Tamler has a desire to do all of our podcasts to be movies. I-, I wish I was doing a movie podcast, essentially. <laughs> That's right. Because I love movie podcasts. I love movies. And uh, Dave feels like I know a little more I mean, about movies. Yeah, I'm a little fish out of fuck. water. But he knows, although he only talks about Pulp Fiction, he actually knows. <laughs> I couldn't find a way to fit Pulp Fiction in today. But, oh well. um, you know, I, Pulp Fiction, you know, Jules. Uh, right. You could say that Jules goes through a sort of identity crisis about who the real. So we'll talk about that. Uh, First of all, uh, uh, Sam Harris, who wrote us a very nice email. Because <laughs> right? yeah. he, he could have written a much nastier email. Um, a much nastier, a much yeah. nastier. Yeah. So he is—he has been a, a real sport about some of the podcasts, and he—and he tweeted our podcast out. And God damn, if he doesn't have a lot of uh, followers, so yeah, thank you, our numbers spiked for the day that he <laughs> yeah. tweeted. He tweeted us out, but he did say that you know he he'd heard some of our criticisms of him and his view. Um, he even heard the one about the where we were sort of making fun of the challenge that he gave the and, moral landscape uh, challenge. He was a 
he was a mensch about it. It was like partially examined life. You know, next Colin McGinn is going to email us saying he loves the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But but Sam wasn't weak about it. He took us to task. But but yeah, he was. He took us to task a little bit. And, you know, uh, we'll have him on the podcast at some point. I would love to have him on. And we can uh, hash those things out. But but yeah, no, he was a mensch about it. And then all and then we had to feel bad, especially me because Dave just threw me under the bus. You're handy that way because I can always, people will just always remember you, you going off on someone and maybe I make a comment or something, and that, but it just gets chalked up to you. But yours are like the most, yeah, yours are the most biting. Like mine are kind of in good fun and yours are like the ones that really get down really deep hurt. into a person's soul. Yeah. And then I get blamed for it. I mean, that's my whole life is I get blamed for shit that other people do. And that's why I really enjoy doing this with you. There's strong analogies you could make between me and Jesus. <laughs> I, I, I suffer for other people's sins. But anyway, yeah, thank you to Sam Harris. A couple of quick pieces of business. Um, first of all, just to thank you to people. We just started recording our downloads. We finally figured out a way to do that towards the end of September. And since then, we've had – they give us a little email update every day. And today, the email update said that we had 20,000 downloads. Which is yeah, man. Cool. Yeah. No, that's a. It's awesome. It's it's amazing. So we've we've continued to get new listeners, and so thank you all for spreading the word. Yeah. We're enjoying yeah. this, and I hope you are too. Spread the word. Continue to do that. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can make a direct donation on PayPal, or you can just shop at Amazon like you normally would. Go to our support page and click on the link, and then anything that you buy at Amazon. Well, a little bit of that will come to us. It won't cost you anything other than what you would have bought on Amazon, and um, it'll help us out a lot. We're trying to figure out how to – and this would be a great show, actually, to have a video version of this show right. where you could see some of the clips that we're going to play and talk about. But, you know, like a lot of these things will take some money and technology. So uh, if you can help us out in any way, that would be that would be great. We'd really appreciate it. Also, you could rate us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, uh, on Twitter. Matt Welsh runs our Twitter account. That's uh, at Very Bad Wizards. You can also tweet at Peas and me at Tamler. What's the Peas thing? That's sort of a big part of <laughs> yeah. online personality. Peas are – when I got to California in fourth grade, there were always a lot of Davids in the class. So every David had, had a – you know, you went by your last name or something else. But at some point in fourth grade, the first year I got to California, some kid started calling me Peaser. I can only guess that it was some take on Pizarro. Well, I don't I even don't. remember if it was an insult to begin with. It might have been an insult. <laughs> But I embraced it as part of my personal identity. And that is a great segue. That's why he does what he does. You should see Dave now, by the way. This is another great thing that if this was video, because he's holding the mic like he's a crooner. Yeah, like I'm he's on, part of the I, rat pack. Like this Dean is not Martin. My, it's not my normal setup, so I'm holding it like a like I'm a host. All right, so personal identity. So first of all, are you going to give the philosophy of this? Are you gonna, in a, in a five minutes? Well, I'll talk about entire- it. You might. Because you actually work on it. I don't really. First of all, it's just a fascinating topic. And I think it's one that philosophers have mostly fucked up with conceptual analysis and their geeked out thought experiments. So I told Tamler, I was like, well, I know nothing about the, the philosophy of personal identity. So he, he linked 
quickly to an article in the Stanford Encyclopedia, which we'll link to. And uh, as I was reading it, I was like, Tamler can't possibly have g- been giving this his his seal of approval because that's it's a bunch of those kinds of sort of puzzles and thought experiments about, you know, the question fundamentally is what makes you you or what makes a person a person, which is extraordinarily interesting, but, you know. And to me, I love the article because it's like, you know, what if what if half of your brain is transplanted in one person and half in another? Wh- which one is you? And I, I was, as I was reading it, I was thinking I could feel Tamler's eyes rolling. <laughs> well, it's not – like I think this is a classic example of a really uh, interesting question that you can't come up with a theory. So, you know, the point of these thought experiments often is to come up with a theory of personal identity where you come up with necessary and sufficient conditions. Right. Like so is it person something a is involving person a, memory? Right. Right. Is it physical continuity, like just a physical body continuity? And then, you know, you come up with a thought experiment that will be a counterexample for that. You know, there's a, there's a psychological approach where a persistence in memory and psychology, and right. it doesn't matter what body you have, it just matters. And then there was the Nina Shaw Nichols work that we talked about then where it was more your moral character. So right. it's not your like it's not how- your memories, it's not your physical continuity it's are you the same person morally that's what makes the real you and like all of these have truth to them that's the thing you just can't make a theory it's hard to make a theory but and i but i submit that this is interesting nonetheless because without those attempts at at trying to come up with necessary and sufficient conditions we wouldn't we wouldn't recognize sort of the some of the most interesting aspects about our lay intuitions about what makes a person a person. I think that at least as I was thinking about my movie picks, they really are movies that challenge, you know, anybody's conception of, of what makes a person a person. Sometimes your intuition is clearly that's not the same person. And sometimes it's clearly it is, but yeah. Yeah, And, and so, so now that I've said the, you know, my normal thing where I trash what philosophers do, let me say one nice thing about what philosophers have done with personal identity. I have to say, this is the topic where it can be the most fun. They've generated a lot of interesting puzzles. And some of these experiments are thought experiments. They're actually really fun to think about. Uh, You know, I got to say, one of the things that used to always bug me as being raised in in a religion in which resurrection is critical. Seventh-day Adventists don't believe in an immaterial soul that, that lasts after the death of the body. They actually believe in physical, the physical resurrection of your body. And that's how you continue as a person. Really? Yeah. And so, so it was easy to be, never be a dualist because uh, Seventh Adventism, even though it's Protestant Christian, doesn't have this belief in the soul that floats away. So there would just be another Dave Pizarro. Well, so the, so yeah, it, like, like like physically you looking would at be, you, like it would be it would be God at the time of judgment reconstituting your body such that you persist, so that you would be like, oh, now I'm awake. And it always kind of bugged me about, well, like. Really? Can you just take? Can you just put yourself back together, and that's you? Like, what if some atoms are out of place, or like, will will you have to use the same atoms? Like, but do you remember anything about your past self? You, yeah, yeah. Presumably, you wake up as if you were sleeping. I see. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. but let me ask you about the the Buddhists and just this whole reincarnation thing, which I don't get. Where you don't have your same body. And you don't have your memories, yeah. but it's still. I you. hate. I, yeah. I, I, it's not like I hate it or I like no, 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 it. I, I don't totally understand. It. I don't get it. I, I I've always thought you might as well just die. I mean, this is the equivalent of just death. 
Right. I don't. When you like sort of become one with the rest of the universe, and you, you, your memories aren't there. Like my intuition is always like, well, that's just a fancy way of saying that you died. Okay, but that's a separate issue from what I'm talking about. There's a lot of stages. There's a huge succession of lives right. before you get to the point where you know Nirvana is even yeah. a possibility for you. And what I don't get is who the you is when you're born, when you're uh, reincarnated. At- yeah, yeah, no, what's I the agree. Persistence there. I I agree. I mean, I mean, this would be an argument in favor of the psychological view, right? Because if if yeah. I can't remember any of my past lives, what sense does it make to say that that the person who lived in the past survived? Then it seems. Well, and if you're not the same body, like you can imagine, right? But you have totally amnesia. But in every other way, you're just the same person. You do the same things. But in this one, you're not the same body. You're not the same. You have no memory right. you, uh, of who you were. You can, be a com- you can be born in a completely different culture, a completely different uh, environment. Yeah. You can even be a different species. Like I just don't get the you. So I, a lot of our question is, what is the you in all yeah. this? The persisting... Right. Identity, And again, I don't think this is something you can come up with a theory of necessary and sufficient conditions for, but I do think it's an interesting question. Yeah, and I have strong – I at least have strong intuitions about when I'm no longer me. When you're not shitting your pants. When I'm not shitting my pants. Like, I, you know, there's a clarity to being scared shitless. Like, what? Uh, no, there is. Yeah. I could play a Woody Allen clip right now that yeah. uh, backs that up. <laughs> So I should say, like, I'm full of dread about this topic because <laughs> really? I want I want very much for me to be me for like, you know, I feel like first grade David is me, you know, just with some more f- facts in my head. But like it yeah. feels me, it, I kind of I hate the thought that actually there is nothing in common with me and first grade David. That it would so be you don't different. like the Derek Parfit thing where, uh, you know, you might as well be giving all your money to charity and not saving money. For yeah, yourself. I hate that thought. I hate that thought. And yeah, and yeah we'll talk. I'll talk a little bit about. It. So Dan, my my friend Dan Bartels and, and collaborator Dan Bartels has a nice paper about about this sort of making people think that they persist over time gets them to be more uh, sort of financially responsible and saving for future selves. But but if you challenge that, then people are like, well, fuck it, I'll spend all my money now. It's simpli- simplified. <laughs> but usually not on charity. <laughs> but not on charity. Usually just on their Usually on strippers stuff. and blow is what it, I think yeah. we – Is that the <laughs> default? That's a, it's a evolutionary universal, um, strippers yeah. and blow. <laughs> I, I think so. Well, that's what allowed our ancestors to leave the most offspring. But <laughs> Which is weird because apparently there was some sort of gene to ward off coke dick. <laughs> that's true that's true there's an optimal level of cocaine um all right so i'll start with my number five my number five is blade runner um i knew this would be a- you knew <laughs> glad it is yeah glad. i know i in some sense I, I i have probably the most obvious picks of all uh so blade runner ridley scott right ridley scott right? yes movie with harrison ford in the early 80s dystopian future and in in this dystopian future there are robots that approach humanness so closely that you can't really tell them apart. In fact, you need some weird version of a psychological test to tell a replicant from a human. You're reading a magazine. You come across a full-page nude photo of a girl. Is this testing whether I'm a replicant or a lesbian, Mr. Deckard? Just answer the questions, please. You show it to your husband. He likes it so much, he hangs it on your bedroom wall. I wouldn't let him. Why not? I should be in for him. 
probably because of this, they've been banned from Earth, and what they they're only used to do sort of like menial labor or dangerous jobs in other parts of of the galaxy. Um, so when they try to sneak back to Earth, um, there are there are people who are whose sole job it is to find these escaped replicants, determine whether they're replicants, and eliminate them. Uh, Harrison Ford is this detective who's who's tasked with finding these these escaped replicants, and the replicants it. They, you know, subjectively, they feel as if they have all the hopes, dreams, desires, memories as you or I. Um, but when in reality, their memories have been completely implanted. And it's, a, you know, it, it is as if they were born, they were born with memories uh, of their growing up and their childhood. And the, uh, but they, these just aren't true. So that alone is an interesting, uh, this, this is an interesting case of what it, what it means to be a person to begin with. Or what it means to have an identity when, in fact, it was completely falsified. In, you know, this has an analog in real life, which is you can implant false memories. We can we can do this um, reliably if you incorporate that into your into who you are. That that memory of that early childhood event that just absolutely never happened. So the interesting part of Blade Runner is that the whole time, you know, it's a straightforward plot where this Harrison Ford character is chasing after after replicants. But one interpretation, and I think it's the correct interpretation, is that Harrison Ford is also, in fact, a replicant. Um, and there's this sort of ending scene that that gives that hints that this whole time Harrison Ford has been a replicant, and and it it makes sense of some of the the, the movie when you view it this way. Apparently, there's controversy about this about whether or not the, the intention of the director was to make Harrison Ford a replicant. Um, or whether the story itself, you know, whether Harrison Ford was in fact, this is kind of a funny argument, right? <laughs> whether whether this fictional character was in fact a replicant. Um, but I Even think though the, the director <laughs> and the writer didn't, didn't yeah. think he was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right, that's the metaphysical question, right? Yeah. And, well, and I, the, that's both metaphysical and like lit crit. <laughs> it is lit crit. Like, the, do the intentions of the director matter? The, the movie is, inter- is a, it's, a, it's a really good movie. One of the interesting things about it, and it's especially interesting under that interpretation where Harrison Ford is the is also a replicant is are these people genuine people because right. uh, what's her name the actress in it she went Sean she Young. ended up going crazy what Sean Young Sean Young yeah, yeah yeah she's somebody that if she had grown up in the age of internet holy shit <laughs> there would have been like <laughs> right right cuz even now there are but but she like finds out that she's a replicant and then that disturbs her and that's i think a common theme is 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 them finding out that they're not what they thought they were anytime there's these clones androids or these robots or whatever yeah. there's a movie out now Spike Jones movie her have you heard right. about this yeah where yeah, i take that's a huge theme yeah yeah yeah. it's gotten absolutely rave reviews and i take it that's a big theme of that is she's this operating system right she's this the good version of google glass that doesn't make you like a hipster fucking asshole that everybody wants to kill uh and for once i agree with you about technology (laughs) yeah and uh and and then she sort of finds out that she's you know, she starts to feel. She starts to get the emotions. She's right, and the thing is, I think that the brilliant, the, the brilliance of the movie, in some part, is that Harrison Ford is so obviously a human throughout. That it's one thing that it's kind of intriguing that uh, that something that's clearly a robot android, replicant, whatever, would would be cast into doubt um, when when they find out that they're a replicant, but. 
it casts us into doubt when we find out or when we sort of infer that Harrison Ford the whole time has been because because you yeah. really treat him as as a as a real human and you're like what wait he could be one too then yeah. could it, I it's be. a that, yeah, that, that could, I, right. could I be um, my number five is also a fairly standard pick I think Fight Club uh, and I tried to divine bind into themes and i think this is the theme of of fight club which is a great movie from 1999 uh, directed by david fincher incredibly talented director seven and fight club are two just amazing movies this is the one that even like my students have seen is about you how it. you could say it even i have seen it. <laughs> I, like i said i think i have a higher opinion of you your no- movie right. knowledge than you do it's it's about how society and social norms sort of stifle and repress who you really are in this case who men really are you know these fight clubs that are popping out are when the real us come out that's what we want that's what we need you know we need this yeah. is, you know evolutionary psychologists would i i think are probably right. all over this movie right. the, the sort of mismatch between the environment that we're evolved to adapt to and and really, the brilliant scene was when when you see his apartment with all of the IKEA catalog sort of prices and, and tags, and it's like like a little coffee table in the shape of a yin yang. I had to have it. The Klipsk personal office unit, the Hovatrek home exer bike, or the Yohannishov sofa with the string green stripe pattern. Even the ring set defines me as a person. I had it all. Even the glass dishes with tiny bubbles and imperfections, proof that they were crafted by the honest, simple, hardworking indigenous peoples of wherever. I was holding. Oh, I mean, in fact, whenever I see that, I just feel like a pit. That's what my apartment is. <laughs> like that's how that's how far removed we are from what you know hunter gatherer people we were yeah. you know uh, yeah and tyler durden in the movie is it's supposed to be just a physical representation of what we really are if we just let ourselves but it was interesting it touched a nerve in people i when yeah. i was in morris they were real fight clubs that popped out like oh, i like i remember talking to a student he's like yeah i do a fight club yeah, uh, look at this. And he was like showing me a scar that he had on his. Uh, yeah, he's like, that's from a Fight Club. Like, it touched a nerve in people. And I think a lot of us do feel like there's something that we're alienated from technology right. and everything is 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 just is repressing. And you know, uh, I have to say, the first time I saw it. I don't know if this makes me dense as a moviegoer, but I actually did not see it coming. I hadn't read the book, obviously, until they. It's not obvious at all. It's yeah. not the first thing you think that he's actually Brad right. Pitt. You know right. that Edward Norton is Brad Pitt. There's yeah. so many scenes where it's just the two of them, and it just seems like, well, what's he doing? Like on the airplane in the beginning. Yeah. Well, right. what's he doing if he's not talking to to a guy? <laughs> right. right. I know exactly. Why does he think he's talking to a guy? It's the middle of the day. They're on the flight. I know. Yeah. And this is a major theme in a lot of movies, and it can be a female character, too, where, you know, like the Jane Austen movies are about society stifling, like, who women really are. Or, like, Remains of the Day, where it's, like, whose servants, just the norms of society, the norms of social life, just keep down keep us down and we have to conform to those rather than be who we really are yeah the most hit you over the head example from that period is jekyll and hyde i mean you there's also and i don't know if it's a it's a very strong western notion that you you are who you are independent of 
of your social roles, your relationships with other people. And I think right. that's uh, for, for more collectivist cultures, the part of me that is fundamentally Latin American, it seems an odd thing to find your true self as something that exists independently of all of your social roles and relations. Because that's right. my, my intuition is always that, no, that is who I am. My, I am my, a father, a son, a brother, a, a, you know, a professor. That is true. Society has allowed me to find myself. You got to go to India. Yourself. Yeah, that's like yeah. that's how you're constructed. That's how you're yeah. constituted. Yeah, so it's I not that em- even though, like even when you just said that last part, I think that's the American part of you that's saying society has allowed me to find myself. No, society right. has just been the means is, in which yeah, you've yeah, built yeah. yourself. As I'm sure you remember from my book, page four hundred and twenty-three was my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Like I would write a book that long. <laughs> <laughs> My book uh, sorry, barely was, made it was into the, the metric. 200. I was using the metric system. You know, and it would be interesting. I didn't think of that, but it would be interesting to see if there are examples of this kind of literature in other cultures. Or is this a purely sort of Western kind of idea Right, the real you is being stifled by society? You know, Yeah, it would be interesting. It's hard because the Western culture has permeated a lot of, you know, so a lot of the movies yeah. that I think of as foreign movies are about like, you know, some kid in, in, in the Middle East or in India or something having to right. like fight against what is expected of him or her. Um, exactly. But, but I used to always think, think that uh, in India, there must be some little like cave or, or re- reservoir that has uh, the true self of, of lots of lots of white Westerners. Because why does everybody go to India to find their true self? You know, like like everyone's like, I need to find myself. Go to India. There's no. Are you there? There's no you there. <laughs> My true self has diarrhea. <laughs> All right, number, I know you're number four. Number four really is a toss-up. I'm I'm switching it so that this one is a non a non sci-fi example. Vertigo, um, mm. and, Verti- and Vertigo is a different case. Yeah, it's a different yeah. case because it's not so much the, that the main character is trying to find himself. It's that it's about a man who is paid to follow a woman. So a guy says, "Follow my wife. She's going kind of she's acting weird. She's going crazy." So he follows her around, ends up falling in love with her, and then she ends up. Uh, apparently committing suicide uh, a bit later he actually sees uh, a woman hold on let yeah, me, yeah, let's yeah. give a little spoiler alert because this okay, is more yeah. of, unlike oh, this, fight club unlike people may not have seen it if certainly if you have not seen vertigo you ought to pause and or skip yeah. ahead and then and then go watch it so spoiler spoilers spoiler. a, a bit later he sees this man who saw this woman commit suicide whom he had fallen in love with who was presumably the wife of his his friend um he spots a woman who looks really a lot like like the woman who committed suicide and he courts her and they have a relationship and uh it turns out though that he's he grows suspicious of you know why does she look so much like this person who committed suicide that really messed him up long story short it turns out that she in fact was paid to impersonate um the wife he was never following the actual wife. He was actually following this woman who was paid as to be an actress because of her resemblance to the wife. The The story hinges around this critical event where she runs up a bell tower, and because he has uh, a phobia of the height, he can't follow her up. All he sees is her jumping. Turns out that it wasn't her jumping. It was uh, the guy who had killed his wife and set this whole thing up, had just tossed the dead body of his murdered wife. And so there, you know, he got away scot-free with murder. This is where it happened. And the two of you hid back there and waited for it to clear, and then you sneaked down and drove into town. Is that it? 
that. You were his girl, huh? Oh, what happened to you? What happened to you? Did he ditch you? Oh, and Judy, with all of his wife's money and all that freedom and that power, and he ditched you. What a shame. And he knew it was safe. He knew you couldn't talk. Did he give you anything? Some money. When I saw you again, I, I couldn't run away. I loved you so. I walked into danger and let you change me because I loved you and I, I wanted you. This was a candidate for my list, too. When he figures out that she is that character, he tries to, or at least looks like her, tries to dress her up like yeah. that and tries to turn her into that character. Right. Yeah, that's a distressing scene. He makes her look exactly like. So it's about identity in the sense that who does he fall in love with? Um, this woman now has has portrayed uh, uh, another person and taken on the characteristics of this other person. She was acting when he fell in love with her. Are those do those feelings naturally transfer to this new person who was, you know, who did he really fall in love with? Um, and I think this, uh, you know, it it hits a little bit of a of of a nerve for anybody who has seen someone change. Um, and you yeah. wonder, what, is this the same person that I used to be in love with? Or is this somebody, <laughs> can you make them the same person? Can you make them what you want them to be? There's a yeah. movie that I didn't put on. Cause you'd make fun of me. Call me Jesse Prince, but, uh, Solaris. <laughs> it's a compliment. Uh, uh, by, Solaris. Yeah. Oh, I, mean, I never watched Soderberg that. Soderbergh made a remake of it, but it's yeah. Andre Tarkovsky is the, the original is one. the guy who made the original movie. And it's, which one is that? Did was the good? Was the new one good? Did you, I did didn't you see the I didn't see the Soderbergh one, which is weird because I like Soderbergh. Uh, yeah. But I I don't know. I saw the I saw the old one and I thought this is great, and I don't think it needs a remake. And so, but I've yeah. heard it's good, and I yeah. like Soderbergh, and I know you wouldn't fuck it up. As we walked along the Flatlock Marina, I was calm on the outside, but thinking all the time. So now it was to be Georgie the General, saying what we should do and what not to do, and dim as his mindless, grinning bulldog. But suddenly I vidded that thinking was for the gloopy ones, and that the omni ones used like inspiration and what bog sends. For now it was lovely music that came to my aid. There was a window open with a stereo on, and I vidded right at once what to do. So my number four, this is the last one that is a kind of obvious one, uh, A Clockwork Orange. Mm-hmm. And this is 1971, yeah. Stanley Kubrick, based on an Anthony Burgess novel. Malcolm McDowell plays Alex, gang leader of these people they call the Droogs. They do just horrible things. They beat up homeless people in the famous scene that made this movie banned in england he banned it they rape this woman while singing singing in the rain and, and there were a lot of copycat versions of that they invade this person's house uh tie up the, so the, the, the up. husband it, it was it, it's really just awful but i mean it's also important for the movie because he finally gets caught and he volunteers for this technique called the Ludovico Ludo, Ludovico technique. What, I don't know how you pronounce. This is why I never made it through the book because I couldn't get I could, just couldn't get past all of the made up words. It's like a conditioning program that will condition him out of 
being violent, put his eyes open and make him watch violent scenes of every kind and then give him drugs that will make him feel sick so that he will feel sick anytime he has a contemplation uh, right. of violence. Oh, what a great, really, by the way, he was actually, I was re- because I'm a huge Kubrick fan too. I was reading yeah. that they actually did pry his eyelids open. There's no, no trickery to this. And uh, I think it adds just to the horror of that scene. Um, and, and, but what's interesting about it is he's such a horror, horrific, he, he yeah. does so many horrific things that you've seen and you still object to turning <laughs> yeah. him and, and Burgess himself still objected to turning him into somebody not through his free choice, right. uh, not by making this this person make a genuine moral choice. But re- like this is good. This is a great example uh, for the Nina Shaw Nichols. Yeah, I think account. It's like that's yeah. not him. It, it just shows. And again, I bet this is a Western thing. That that probably would would maybe have a harder time gaining sympathy in in certain other cultures, but this idea is that there's such a emphasis on authenticity yeah. that even when the guy is as horrible as he was, this is why Kant has won. Like this movie shows <laughs> that Kant has won in spite of my best efforts. But you're absolutely right. I think that the brilliance of I never read the book, but the brilliance of the movie at least is at the end to be rooting for his genuine self to emerge when you're like, wait, what did I just root for? This you guy know? just raped oh, and, and, and killed a woman in front of her husband. <laughs> yeah. You're rooting for that genuine self to be released. Right. You know, we want people to come to arrive. You're right. It's content. We want people to arrive at the moral, at the moral rights through the right reasons, not through coercion and not through he's sure. he's being oppressed. It's it's unethical to oppress somebody like that. No, I mean it's 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 bizarre, and it and it brings it out in 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 an absolutely great way. And it's also you know in a movie that also I think raises people's fear about how technology could control us and bring us into line. You know, the brave yeah. new world, uh, and it's a fear about utilitarianism too, because nobody could deny. That right. it would bring about the utilitarian outcome to have people like this conditioned. Right. You know, but unlike Brave New World, where it's kind of obviously a dystopia, in this case, you start out with a guy who we let it be up to him, the kind of character he was going to be. And it's a, it's a disaster. Kicking the shit out of everybody. He's drinking that weird yeah, milk. Yeah, right. He does a lot of kicking. <laughs> I well, just, I think it's because it's Malcolm McDowell. He's not exactly ripped. <laughs> We can't spend too much time on it, but there is a weird sense, though, in which, you know, we do things like this. I mean, would we object to a child, sort of a pedophile, having being made to be sick whenever he thinks of sex with a kid? It, he stacks the deck in the movie and in the book. He does, because the people are kind of sinister who are doing it right. to him. I bet you, you know, I mean, so, you know, we do this with alcoholics, right? We give them a drug that we say, take this drug. Uh, whenever you drink alcohol, you'll be sick to your stomach. And I don't know too much about it. I mean, this requires that they choose to take the drug every day. So obviously there is a difference there. (laughs) All right. Uh, Let's take a quick break and then we'll come back with our top three. (laughs) 
welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. We are listing our top five movies that have as their general theme personal identity. Your number three. Number, just to make clear, these aren't in order of quality of film <laughs> because in some ways it's uh, – in that case, Vertigo would probably be number one on my, on my list. Um, yeah. And in fact, this movie – Although I mildly enjoyed it, isn't even in in my mind that good a, a movie. It was just sort of interesting. It just illustrates one particular sense of personal identity that I think is intriguing, and that so that movie's Looper. Oh Loop, yeah, yeah, good one. yeah. It's a time travel movie. I think it's actually well done, unless you stop and think too much about what time travel ought to entail. But that that's probably true of any time travel. Uh, I think it is true of any yeah. time travel, and I think it does it as well as most. Ryan Johnson is a director. I think he's he's actually done some great movies. Well, he, he is, did Brick. He did Brick, which is a, a modern noir. Um, you know, where set they, in a they high talk school. all yeah, set in a high school, and they talk all fast, Look like noir you. style. You're, yeah. fucking, you're, you're fine <laughs> with movies. <laughs> I, I I have high standards. I don't I don't approach. Yeah. But so in this in this movie, you know, the plot details are essentially. Um, that people in the future, when the mob wants somebody killed, they send the victim, the person who is to be killed, to the past because in the past it's much easier to hide a body. Right. right. And so that's the gist of it. And so you don't even have to hide it, really. You don't. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think this movie does a nice job of illustrating one feature of personal identity because uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt's character, who who is tasked with killing, with offing people, um, through some accident, you're not supposed to see the people that, who you kill. They just get flashed into the in, into your timeline and you off them real quick. They usually have a mask on their head. But uh, he ends up having to kill himself in the future, his future self. And right. and it turns out that he actually got a glimpse. It's Bruce Willis plays the role of, of Joseph Gordon-Levitt in the future. For that reason alone, that it, it illustrates nicely this tension between not who you really are now or how you became who you are, but you and the tension between you and your future self. Right. And this is a point that economists and philosophers have made for a while. That is, it's unclear whether you at time two, like you at some point in the future, like uh, Tamler 20 years from now, um, not only is it unclear whether you share the essential characteristics that make you who you are, so uh, just as a, as a metaphysical fact, um, but it is also the case that it's hard to justify why you ought to be concerned with that person's interests 20 years in the future. Right. So. So in that sense, it seems almost irrational to save your money and not spend it because it's a form, as some philosophers have put it, it's a form of altruism. You're caring for somebody who is so divorced from who you are now that it is almost it is almost as if you are donating money to, to another person when you're putting it into a stranger. Yeah, yeah or somebody that you sort of dis like a relative or something. Right, exactly. And so, and so I think that the tension arises – when the, they have these conversations, where I think for both of them, is, I mean, obviously for future, for Bruce Willis' character, he cares very much what happens to him now. But there is no, you, there is no obvious connection. He wants connection. to just go on living and, and like try to redeem his past life. Exactly. Whereas the modern Joseph Gordon-Levitt is like, wait. It's, and th- what I love about it is there's no clear chemistry between the two characters. So it's turned into your eyes. Too strange. Your face looks backwards. Yeah. So do you know what's gonna happen? You done all this already? As me? I don't want to talk about time travel. Because if we start talking about it, then we're gonna be here all day talking about it, making diagrams with straws. We both know how this has to go down. I can't let you walk away from this diner alive. This is my life now. I earned it. 
You had yours already, so why don't you do what old men do and die? Why don't you just take your little gun out of between your legs and do it? Boy. You would think that if you see yourself in, in the past, you would be like, oh, crazy. Remember when this happened or what happens to that? You know, there is a weirdness. There's a tension between the two, even though their uh, young Joseph Gordon-Levitt is actually made to look quite a lot like a, what a young Bruce Willis would look like. There, it's like talking to a stranger and, and there is a distance between the two that I think would really happen if you met yourself in 20 years, if you survived. Or if you met your 20 years ago self. 20 years you know? ago. Yeah. No, that's a very cool thing to think about is how yeah. that would go and how that would be and what no that's a great choice and that's just not like that wasn't on my radar for some reason even though i really like that movie a lot yeah and you know it does show first of all what do you owe your future self is one question and what responsibility do you bear for your past self for what your past self has done Right. Uh, that's a, that's a really another, intriguing question. If if you you know one of the th- the things that's mentioned in this in the philosophy literature that I'm now an expert on after having read the Stanford Encyclopedia is you know right. there's some people argue that you are sort of momentary chunks. There is no real continuity. It's like your yourself in this sort of momentary atom of time is you, and then like in some arbitrary future atom of time, it's completely not you. And so, why should you be responsible for a person at time at time one? Um, and that gets just magnified in a lot of different debates, like for example, the reparations debate. What, right. What do we? What responsibility do we bear for our ancestors' actions right. or our children's actions? Or, yeah, and there, and you know, that? I, I get a paper with Eric Ullman and some other people about about this, where there seems to be some sort of essentialist view uh, of sort of generational continuity, where you are in some sense responsible for what your grandparents did, um, but but you're entirely but, responsible for what you did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, although that it's not clear that it ought to be the case. Sorry, I'm late. Okay, my people are out there. They're like fucking Indians. You're not going to see them. You're not going to hear about them, except through me or Captain Queenan. You will not ever know the identity of undercover people. Unfortunately, this shithole has more fucking leaks than the Iraqi Navy. Fuck yourself. I'm tired from fucking your wife. How's your mother? Good. She's tired from fucking my father. Good. My number three is this is the first movie that I think you definitely haven't seen and that is Infernal Affairs but Infernal. it is the basis of a movie that I'm sure you have seen which is Martin Scorsese's The Departed and, and I have to say I love Martin Scorsese but he ripped this movie off for The Departed and never not gave it the credit that it deserves oh like I didn't the know first that. I... the opening scene of the departed is just a shot by shot remake of the opening scene in infernal affairs so this and is it a Chinese it's not movie. credited in in the credits it's credited like at the end but he uh, never talked about it he never and I, and I loved this movie before the departed came out it's a hong kong movie uh-huh. um why can't Kung Lao and Alan Mack are the directors. Stars Andy Lau and Tony Leung. You know, I actually like The Departed. The first time I saw it, I was a bit pissy about it. And then I saw it again fairly recently. And I was like, all right, you know what? This is actually a pretty good movie, too. Had you seen Infernal Affairs first? Yeah, well before The Departed even came out. Oh, yeah. So that would be. And I loved it. 
Right. And I yeah. loved it. Right. And so when The Departed came out, I was like, this is bullshit. He and then when he wasn't giving them credit. Again, I'm trying to break my, th- my, my movies down into theme. And, and this is the theme about what a strain it is to pretend to be somebody you're not. Like, what a strain on your right. just general uh, personality that is. If you haven't seen The Departed, it's the same plot, essentially, where there's, on the one hand, a police department that has sent in an undercover cop to be a mole within a an organization. And on the other hand, the, the, that same organization has sent somebody to the academy, to the police academy, to become a, a policeman so they can report on them. And it's just these two people who are working, you know, within an environment that where they have to make people think that they're somebody that they're not and what a psychological strain that is on them and, and the toll that it takes, but also how your environment can eventually sort of turn you into something, even if you're trying to resist it. You right. know, and I think in both cases, you have those elements where they're bringing out a part of, uh, you know, you, you find yourself becoming what you're pretending to be. And right. Uh, right. that's a common that, theme in, in these sort of undercover movies where the fear is always that you're turning. Right. Because you have to, you know, you have to be, you have to be so good that it seems like after a while being so good just requires believing in some measure who you are. Right. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and and just genuinely becoming that—that's how you yeah. do it. I, 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 like a lot of movies, also just about acting, and actors yeah. are like yeah. that too. Where just somebody who's an actor starts to find that they're becoming like the person they're portraying. But but this is a this is a really cool movie, and both actors are great. If you've seen The Departed, I strongly recommend seeing Infernal Affairs. Uh, it's a really fun movie. This is the first movie that you're going to accuse me of being Jesse Prince. But it's actually just a really fun, awesome, like, tight movie. It's a lot shorter. And I think the acting, as much as I think, you know, Matt Damon and Leonardo DiCaprio were good, like, these actors are better. And they get the psychological trauma of what they're doing. Like, that comes out in a, I think, more resonant way. So I love that movie, Infernal Affairs. Well, and and I I like this, the thing that you first brought up, which is about, how difficult and taxing it is for you to try to be someone else. And this, I think it illustrates a nice, a nice point that, that is you're supposed, it's supposed to be really hard for you to not be genuine, right? If it came too easy, it would be suspicious because, or else like you're just a shell of a person taking on whatever characteristics are around you, you know, and maybe it's related to this genuine belief in this core self. It's supposed to be hard. And I think it's also something that we can relate to because we know every one of us knows the environment where we feel totally ourselves and relaxed. But the, but the thing we can all relate to, I think is when we're trying, you know, when you go to this party, that's at the president's house or something like that. Yeah, the president yeah, of the yeah. university's house or, or, or just something you're trying to put on or, you know, any kind of time where you're trying to put on a show and you're trying to be different from who you really are. You know, I think this is a good way of trying to find out who you really are is how comfortable you feel in right. various different types of environments. And yeah. the times where you feel really uncomfortable and you think, 
this is really hard. This is really hard for me to do. This is hard for me to talk to these people. It's hard for me to, you know, pretend uh, that, 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 you know, that's a great signal that this is not you. This is, I mean, you know, it's funny, just, just anybody who has exchanged gifts, uh, for the holiday season, unless you're godless and you don't believe that Jesus was born on December 25th, (laughs) gift, receiving gifts is, is a perfect example, uh, like a little mini instance in which you have to sort of put, put this smile on your face, no matter what you get, you know, it's actually taxing to like go around and give gifts and and like, Oh, uh, Oh, it's wonderful. Even if you genuinely believe that it's wonderful, you have to like put on this sort of, you know, like extra layer of it's actually draining. Yeah, no, it's draining. This is a great example of something philosophy doesn't bring out, but right. fiction and literature brings out the the psychological toll of portraying something that isn't really you. But I'm sure a social set, you guys could do a good experiment where you put a cock ring on somebody and. <laughs> measure. <laughs> Actually, I'm including that measure in all of our, my future studies, even if they're like about yeah, sp- financial savings or something. <laughs> you just wear this cock ring, but yeah, just, I thought this like was the thing about doing uh, math problems. Yeah, no, it is, but just... <laughs> the experiment requires it. Oh, that was a little Milgram reference. Uh, yeah, yeah. That was a, yeah. a Mil- totally a, a th- lab coat. You must put on the cock ring. <laughs> the experiment <laughs> requires that you put on the cock ring. <laughs> Like it especially confuses women when I do that. <laughs> but where? Oh God, it's evolving. Uh, all right, number two. Your number two. My number two. Um, uh, I love this movie, and I think it says something about personal identity that's not the straightforward puzzle cases of philosophy, but it says something that's interesting that I'm not sure how to describe it. But uh, it's Groundhog's Day. Um, oh yeah, this was an honorable mention for me. Yeah, so I mean, first of all, I, I, I I'm never tired of this movie. Bill Murray is a fucking genius. Um, maybe not in everything, but but in more things than most people. And one of the things I love, so the premise, if you haven't seen Groundhog's Day, which it's Groundhog Day, it's just, oh Groundhog, it's not Day, plural. Sorry. Yeah, it's uh, it's not possessive. So essentially, the Bill Murray character has to he's a he's a local newscaster who is tasked with the boring job of going to the place where the groundhog comes out and decides whether or not to look at his shadow. And so it's one of these stupid local color news stories. And uh, he is through something we never really find out why, which I think is the the reason the movie is so brilliant. We have absolutely no no knowledge as to why this happened, whether it was some sort of sci-fi or magic or anything, but it doesn't matter because he's just forced to relive the same day over and over again. And Bill Murray, the Bill Murray character is an asshole at first. He's just a, a dick. And he goes through every single day waking up, no matter what happened the day before, he's reliving the same Groundhog Day. And there is this transformation that takes place, but only in stages. So at first he does whatever the hell he wants. So he, he's like a mild psychopath doing whatever the hell he wants. Um, there's a love interest. What's her name? And- Andy Mc- Andy McDowell. McDowell. Andy McDowell. Yeah. Uh, so then he tries to to find to use all of these extra days as, to, to find the best way to seduce her. This is about a million miles from where I started out in college. You weren't uh, in broadcasting in journalism. Believe it or not, I studied 19th century French poetry. <laughs> what a waste of time. Of course, it's a million miles from where I started out in college. Oh, yeah? You weren't in broadcasting or journalism or anything like that? Uh-uh. Hmm. 
Believe it or not, I studied 19th century French poetry. La fille qui j'aimerais sera comme bon frère, qui sait bon faire un peu chaque matin. You speak French. Of course, at the very end, uh, he he really makes a moral transformation, and so it is a character making a transformation. Um, that's not unique to the film because lots of films are about changing for the better or becoming a better person. Um, but the method by which he has to do it, that is every single day choosing what to do. So he goes through a long spell where he's saving people from dying every day. Um, yeah. And in a way in which it's kind of funny because he knows that it's going to reset the next day. Um, but it isn't until, I guess, until he makes a genuine transformation that he finally wakes up and it's the next day. And he has it, to get the day right. Exactly. That's the sort of the premise of the movie is that this is a selfish guy and he has to get the day right before he can get to the next day. Right. And he and the thing is he has to do this with fair amount of ignorance as to what the right day is. And it and it's not until, yeah. I think it's not until he stops thinking of it as as a strategic thing that that he, it just sort of happens. I mean, it's Sisyphean, right? He doesn't know he's doing he's living the same day over and over again, but in the end he just becomes this genuinely sort of I mean, you know, not to get too deep, but it's a microcosm of what life is. It's like at the end of the day, it might be meaningless and you don't know what's why you're here or why everything is happening, but but you sort of find the way to be the best person you can be. And and it's a really cool idea because I think we get sort of just swept up in our day-to-day events, which yeah. can sometimes prevent us from doing that. But imagine yeah. if you had this one day to live over and over and over and over right. again where you have no real commitments. All you have is to work on your character for that day exactly. and try to get it better. And it's like, that's what you need. I, I've always thought with that movie, the idea is we all need a Groundhog Day where we're just going to wake up. We have as much time as we need, as many days as we need to change our personality. Wasn't this a Nietzschean idea, sort of his version of the categorical imperative? Like imagine that you had to relive the same day over and over again. How would you It's not it? the same day. It's the same life. The same so, life. It, right. so you want to live your life so that... The idea is that it's infinite, like the atoms are infinite, everything is infinite, so that eventually the world will constitute itself so that it's the eternal recurrence idea, so that you become that same person living the exact same life, and you want to live it so that you're like, yeah, bring it on. I like that life. That's who I want to be. Twilight Zone episode where that's somebody's sort of punishment. Um, there, it's mm-hmm. like some World War II, you know, scene where basically he has to relive the horrors of his last day, and that's sort of eternal. the one with the Nazi, the the old it, Nazi officer. I don't remember. Maybe I have a feeling. You're like maybe no, he was on a ship. Why? Was it on a sh- he he was doing good for the world. <laughs> <He> was, <so>. <laughs> <laughs> I encoded it. I encoded it more as a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. You're imagining things. What's going on? Where did he come from? Why does he look like me? 
up here too long, man. My number two, a great movie that I think very few of our listeners uh, have seen, and I doubt that you have seen it either, so I don't want to spoil too much of it. But it's it's called Moon. Oh. And the director is Duncan is Jones. Uh, David Bowie's son. David Bowie's son. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. also did a movie that was more Hollywood with, uh, what's his name, the Jake Gyllenhaal. And Source Code, which is a cool movie. Also, like you could argue yeah, personal right. identity, but uh, uh, about physical sort of physical yeah. continuity. He, he was actually Maggie Gyllenhaal the whole time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Whatever. Or, I, her, I, call, I liked her. As I call her droopy. She She's looks like cool. That droopy I like I like I, I like the whole Gyllenhaal family. I'm down with them. <laughs> so but, I started uh, watching I started watching Moon and for some reason didn't finish it, but I've been it's on my list. It's of, of really, really yeah. cool. And I and I and I'm not gonna talk about this very much, but this is my most philosophy thought experiment y pick. Here's what I'll say about it. Sam Rockwell, who's awesome. He's awesome. I mean uh, he plays this astronaut on a space station. Who wakes up and and you know the, the, the premise of the movie as you're just getting into it is he just has a few more weeks left on his mission. He can't talk live with anybody on Earth. He thinks because there's just some sort of technology issue. But he can get videotaped messages. So you see videotaped messages from his wife, and you see that he's really excited about seeing his wife and returning to his family. I'll, I'll just say this much, and this is all I'll say about the movie. He he, he just starts to feel a little, like, headachy and just and, and not himself. And then he goes out and eventually finds somebody who's dead who looks exactly like him. Uh, okay. Oh, no, no, sorry. He's not uh, dead. He's just severely injured. And he rescues him uh, and then uh, brings him back. Right, and I now there are that. two of him. And you find out why, and I won't divulge that. The movie just takes a turn there. It's like a Major Tom kind of thing up Uh, till that point, which is really cool also that it's Duncan Jones doing it. I know. (laughs) And then it becomes something totally different, and it, although also within that same sort of lonely astronaut theme. By the way, I just saw Gravity. It is amazing. Dude, (laughs) yeah. I, how, I almost, I almost think that like the making of, Gravity should be a major theater release. Like I want to know how the hell they did that. It's or like Apocalypse Now, where it might be better than the movie is <laughs> right. just the making of. But it, the oh, movie yeah. itself was pretty. Cl- and I saw it. I want to see it. Like I saw it on a rinky dink piece. Dude, I saw it on my shit. laptop. I saw it on my laptop. Oh, so you I didn't know. even see it in three D? No, no. Oh, you got to see this shit in three D. I, I want to see. I want to see it in IMAX. Just 3D. find the nearest theater near you I right know now. It's still playing. Is it but I know, thing? like you, you're gonna have to like trek out, and it's probably be a shitty theater. But the 3D, like, and I'm not a 3D fan. But yeah. this is a movie that you want to see in 3D. That's what I heard. That's what I heard. Damn it. Uh, but anyway, like, so it starts out like that, but then in the end, it really becomes, you know, we should have uh, yeah. done this earlier on, but the Locke-Reed debate about whether memory and psychological continuity, right. Right. Do you, does it need to be the same body for it to be you? Does there have to be any continuity between the same body? Because we're not the same bodies atom by atom, atom, by atom. that we there were is. when that we were 20 years ago but there is but, something about the continuity of our bodies that's sort of like the ship of theseus that like n- it's never completely yeah. replaced at one time yeah nice. we, we probably should talk about yeah you like that we probably should talk about 
actual philosophy or something. But we probably we'll should have. assume. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Actually, right. you know, talking about that debate, I mean, one one movie that not on my list that I considered was Memento. Um, but that movie's not so much about personal identity. It just is this interesting cases of anterograde amnesia that people who have perfectly fine short-term memory, but their long-term memory is completely damaged so, such that they are meeting somebody for the first time every time they meet them, for instance. Um, and, no, I mean, Memento yeah. is an obvious pick that I'm shocked is not on your list. Well, and- it's, it's because I didn't, thought, I didn't think that Memento as a theme had personal identity as, as the theme. Um, it, you do any? Well, it could, it could because it's well. like he's reinventing himself. Every yeah, he is. I, I just think that it's any case of anterograde amnesia raises these issues, and Memento might be one one of these cases. But you know, it's a theme, and I think this is definitely a Memento theme. It's also Inception. Uh, this is clearly Christopher, Christopher Nolan, Nolan kind of thing. Even the Batman movies, pretty much. I was going to say, I was going to say, Batman prestige. would have been. Yeah, the Prestige it, is brilliant about this, but Prestige, you it, can't. It, it's a big spoiler if we talk about why. Yeah, if we, it's a big yeah. spoiler how Prestige is in any way <laughs> yeah. about personal identity. So we'll just not talk yeah. about that. But, um, but, but this is a theme of a movie that didn't totally make my list, but it should have. Like this is like Solaris, uh, which is what happens if what you think is real turns out to be an illusion, but it's better than your actual life. (laughs) Do you go for the authenticity or do you go for the better than and very real seeming illusion? Like Memento, where like you kind of find out at the end, and again, we're not spoiling Memento, that this is probably just an invention of his or definitely invention of his. and, And he makes a conscious choice to live with the invention rather than live with the truth. Solaris is about that too, where people make a conscious choice to live with the invention rather than to live with the truth, either about themselves or about another person. That's all right. You're number one. My number one, which is, uh, I, I don't know if this, this will be, well, well, I'll just fucking say it back to the future. And here's why ba- ba- here's why Back to the Future is my number one. Not because it's time travel, really. Because I mean, in some sense, it requires time travel to make this point. But it's not it's it's not as if time travel is is central to this point. Um, the reason, first of all, Back to the Future I've loved as a movie from you know the first day I saw it. I've seen it like twenty times at least. It's a, it's a great. I think it's a well put together movie for a blockbuster. Like it was just seemed together so nicely but here's what always bugged me about it um and it's something that i don't know if it's true or not but if it is it should it should have some implications for personal identity uh the story in back to the future centers around marty traveling back into the past and something gets he messes something up right in the timeline and he has to correct it uh and what he has to correct is his parents meeting and falling or his parents falling in love so uh, there's this, you know, it all it all comes down to one particular evening when his mom and dad kiss. This is told to us um, early on in the film, and he messes it up such that they're not going to end up kissing. So Marty has to make make it happen again. He does so with this awesome playing of the guitar on stage. Um, and one of my favorite Barry. things, yeah, one of my favorite things about about that movie is when uh, the timeline is being erased. 
he's looking at a picture of he, himself and his family and he's slowly getting erased and he's like losing control of the guitar. Um, and that just mimics how I feel on a lot of days. Like my, <laughs> I can barely keep, keep going. Uh, so the part that actually is critical and that kind of bugs me is that, um, there is a moment, so it ends up happening in a different way than it happened originally. Um, but there's a moment where, uh, Marty's wimpy dad, um, played by that. I love that actor guy. Crispin um, Glover, you mean? Uh, yeah, Crispin Glover is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he awesome. has to he has to fall, he stand up to the bully, who in the future yeah. is still sort of a dick and bullies his father. And when he does it, sort of he makes his you know he makes his hand into a fist and finally socks Biff. Hey, you! Get your damn hands off! Oh, I think you got the wrong car, McFly. <laughs> George, help me, please. Just turn around, McFly, and walk away. Are you deaf, McFly? Close the door and beat it. No, Biff. You leave her alone. All right, McFly. You're asking for it. And now you're going to get it. Stop it! Oh, oh. You're gonna break his arm! Biff! Biff! Leave him alone! Let him go! Let him go! Then everything ends up working out. Then Marty goes back to the future, and the future has changed drastically so that now his father is super successful and confident, and Biff, the bully, is like yeah. this nothing. He's a nothing. He's like waxing the car and like He's working kissing for ass. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so the, the reason that this always bugged me about personal identity is could it actually be the case that one event so drastically alters who you are? Um, and certainly – we would never th- we think of our characters as as being sort of built up over time or some combination of of our of our you know choices over time or you know maybe how we were raised or but that it could boil down to one split decision that you make yeah. could completely determine whether you're confident and successful and so I don't know, or whether, just a slump. I mean, he's such a slump in the in the beginning of the movie. The, like such he's a just win, yeah. it's pathetic. The point that this at least illustrates is that who we are is so much a product of just pure dumb luck. Um, yeah, now, it's I don't, so contingent. I don't, it's so contingent. And if we really knew, if you when you tell the story of like, oh, how did you become who you are? Why are you a philosopher? We tell the story with like a, a series of choices. Well, you know, I was my when my dad was when I was twelve, he gave yeah. me this book that really got me interested in it, and and it could actually boil down to uh, something that was so capricious and out of out of your control that shaped who you are. Um, that it's a little bit disturbing to me, but it's probably true. Like our lives and who we are and our identity is probably largely determined by stupid coincidence and accident. Well, it's because there's a snowball effect, right? Obviously, it wasn't just that he punched Biff right. 
and and then everything else could have been the same. It was right. like that gave him a little more confidence that just sort of snowballed. He's like, so I think that's the way in which it's true. It's not that it's just this one choice. Right, it's not the one right that all things being equal. It's that that would have just started this new path for you, where gradually you would have become uh, yeah a different, you know, better or worse person. And it has you know it has a real. I mean, in our in my life, when I think about it, there are things that happened that were completely. My mom convinced me I was applying to a master's program uh, at Yale, and she's like, "Just check box, just check the little box that says PhD." I just didn't think I could get in, and I was applying it as a safety right. thing. And so she's like, "Well, just at least hold off on the decision." And right before I had to put it in the mail, she's like, "Just check the PhD box." And for that reason alone, my life surely changed. I would have gone to a different grad school. I would have met different people. I probably wouldn't be doing this podcast. And <laughs> Your life uh, would have been better, in other words. It would have been completely awesome. <laughs> I wouldn't have gotten divorced. I yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. That was At the very least, point. you wouldn't be doing this podcast. <laughs> like two-hour podcast. Great. More reporters. Look like reporters. You're the big hero. Really don't like talking about it, sir. You sure took care of those two bad men, Joey. My name is Tom. It's Joey. You tell me. All right, my number one. It's a fairly, you know, it was a Hollywood movie, but I still, I think it's like really underrated. I think it's a great movie. I think this, this is so much about personal identity. It's called, it's uh, David Cronenberg's A History of Violence. Oh, Have you yeah. seen this? Yeah. This is totally. a really, really good movie that I think, you know, it's underrated in the sense that I've seen that, but I no, remember No, you're it. right. It's totally underrated. Uh, it's Vigo Mortensen, uh, yeah. Maria Bello. Uh, Ed Harris and uh, William Hurt, who's only is a little bit like ridiculous in it, actually. But this is an interesting. Like we were talking about this earlier, like how much responsibility do you bear for your past self, and like to what extent are you your past self if you've really changed? Right. So do, we should issue a spoiler because I think there is a tension in the film when you don't know exactly. Yeah, that's true. And, and I think that tension works. Yeah. That's yeah. True. Yeah. But but just so we can talk about it, it's uh it's a movie where Vigo Mortensen plays this ex gangster, just yeah. vicious, violent, psychopath gangster uh from Philadelphia and just starts over and you don't get a total sense of how he did like he he went to a right. desert meditated so it's not like clockwork orange where right. he made the choice to change and and now is just this guy working in a diner that he owns in, just a nice guy yeah in a, so we in a you diner. meet him as a as a family man in a small town yeah. Yeah, working in a diner and right so with that's a kid you... who's a little bit of a wimp at first yeah and, uh, although and uh, is getting pushed around by these bullies and that's a really interesting dynamic too yeah and uh, and then you know his past it's one of these movies where your past comes back to haunt you but it's a really interesting cuz the wife the son nobody knows who that anything about this guy they just think that this is really him he's just right. this guy and he doesn't exude anything of this old character like there's no, no he's just, just and you could imagine being the spouse and being like 
they clearly are wrong. Like, clearly they don't know who my husband is. Like, it's so obvious that he's, like, a peace-loving sort of nice guy. But it's like what you say where the real you comes out in in cases where you're scared. The real him comes out in cases where he, uh, him and his family are threatened, and he uses it to protect his family. But it scares the shit, obviously, as it should, out of his son and his and his wife. It's never resolved. Like, the last shot of the movie is just him having a family dinner with his wife and his son. And you don't exactly know. You know that the son has come to terms with it a little bit because he's serving him. But they're not speaking, really. And, and and to what extent have they accepted it and to what extent is not resolved. And it's really gripping. It's really fun to watch, too. And the No, it's great. And But it, you're right, it does. Like, to me, the most powerful parts are... Are, um, I mean, awesome fight scenes, but but also just the that that sense that the wife is like, even though he protects, she's all of a sudden like, wait, I don't know this person now. Even though nothing has really changed, I mean, he always was that person with that history. She's looking at him as if he were sort of a new person, a different person, a stranger at her table. All of this comes out in these two sex scenes in the movie. (laughs) There's one where she's, and it's really cool too, because she's sort of dressing up as a cheerleader as if she was in high school and he was in high school. So even in the first sex scene, which is very innocent and sweet, both of them are pretending to be who they're not, but you also get the sense that they're both comfortable with who they really are at that point. Right. And then you have the, the, I guess, a famous sex scene. It's like on the stairs. And that's the one where she's, it's now he's the guy from Philly. And, you know, uh, and the, you brought up the son briefly, but there is something that really is about identity in that when the son, who is wimpy, sort of changes, you do question whether is this is this... Is this that his essence as a violent person really was who the son was? Or is it now that he knows uh, or he's realizing that his dad wasn't who he was, that that he acts in this way? Like it's unclear whether he's now tapping into his true sort of genetic – yeah, no, it's a great And it's just never – I love that it's never resolved. This is why you'll never have a good theory of personal identity. Is that it's never resolved and never could be resolved to what extent he's the same person as the guy from Philly and to what extent he's not. In that sense, I think it's a – like it's just a very cool movie. It's all about to what extent we are the people we used to be even if we've undergone some sort of radical change. ever really change like in that? And to what extent you still just like you can't escape it. You know, yeah. which is a yeah. lot of movies, right? Uh, yeah. And a lot of like Great Gatsby, of course, a lot of literature, right? Great right. Gatsby is entirely about that. You are who you are. There are no second acts in American lives. All right, we got to wrap up. Do you have any honorable mentions? I, you know, I have a couple that, that came up. I mean, we already mentioned Memento. Um, I want to give an honorable mention to not a single film, but one of the things that has made me think about personal identity in this philosophical sense a lot more, which is every Star Trek movie and TV show ever, ever made. And the reason that this messes with me is, uh, is that the transporter, the, the thing that gets you from point A to point B, uh, by a hallmark of philosophy movie. thought in France. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, there are two, <laughs> really quickly, there are, 
some people think of it as it, it dissolves you here and shoots the molecules down to the surface of the planet. But that the, that's not the canonical sense in which it works. The way that it works is that it disassembles you here and has a set of instructions for how to reconstruct you. And it uses the atoms on the surface of the planet or wherever you're going right. to, re, to reconstruct you. And I actually think that you die every single time that you get into that machine. And and my intuition is there's a there's really? an episode. Yeah, there's an episode. My in, intuition uh, is not that at all. Yeah. Well, so there's an episode in, in uh, The Next Generation where um, there's a transporter accident. Uh, basically, they come, uh, they come across a man who uh, – on a planet who turns out to be one of the characters – identical to one of the characters on, on the ship. And it turns out that um, there, was, there was an accident such that it reconstituted him both on the ship and on the surface of the planet. And they got the wrong, you know, they, they, they got one of them, but they didn't get the other one. The other one swears up and down that he really is the real one. And, and it might actually be that there is more evidence that the one on the, on the surface of the planet who's been marooned for like five years is the real one. Um, but... I think that every single time you get on, because it just dissolves you and there's no continuity, it recreates you. If it recreates two of you, which one is the real you? They can't both be the real you. You should have made that choice where you went into philosophy. <laughs> I should. You missed your <laughs> call. Yeah. It the two, I call it the two Riker problem. I'm going to write a paper. <laughs> you shouldn't be spending all your time putting cock rings on people. You should be I, doing uh, like conceptual analysis and coming up with thought course. experiments. Uh, right. Yeah, I, I guess it's I guess it's the same. All right. Well, I don't have a, as much to say about my honorable mentions, but uh, and I've mentioned a bunch of them. Solaris. I've mentioned the Tarkovsky version. Being John Malkovich, I can't believe that oh, neither of us uh, brought that one up. Uh, Memento we talked about My Fair Lady it has, it's interesting to contrast sort of the My Fair Lady with A Clockwork Orange in the sense that both of them are you take somebody out of a new environment and and right. almost I mean she makes the bare choice in My Fair Lady Audrey Hepburn this is based on Pygmalion George Bernard Shaw uh, she makes the it's great have you seen My Fair Lady? No I never saw it I, oh my I, god you gotta see I, that I, I avoid it's musicals awesome. usually but it's where the gay side of me comes out and, and and it's like but but we don't have an objection to it she becomes a, sort of a different person by, by how she speaks everyone see my fair lady and it doesn't mean you're gay if you like it <laughs> although it's fine if you are all of me all of me i love all of me i uh the fly uh zelig woody allen zelig which you might like uh, One flew over the cuckoo's nest. I've uh, I've I've mentioned Spirited Away. The Miyazaki oh, animated movie is a yeah. is an unbelievably good movie, and I think it's about her discovering. Like, I think a lot of personal good personal identity movies are about people kind of gaining self confidence in who they are. There's a certain level of confidence you need to be who you really are in in a lot of different environments, and that's what that movie is about. And is in some like, sense, every I, I wish I put this on my list. What good co- good coming of age movies are are really about. 
a personal identity and sort of, you know, uh, they often involve some sort of some yeah. experience that ends up stand by me. We just saw stand by oh, me so recently. Good. So, so good. I think it really is. Yeah. It's like a lot of these teenage movies are about who you really are. And the good, the good part about being a teenager is that's the time where you're most trying to pretend. And a lot of the ones that are a little cheesy, but also great are the ones where people gain the self-confidence that they can just, right. you know, they don't have to pretend anymore. Uh, so spirited away, the prestige we mentioned shutter Island, uh, is another example of one of those yeah. sort of I'll live the illusion rather than live yeah. the... Yeah. You know, I, honestly, the reason I didn't like them is probably the case with when it's too close to home. That, like the psychology about schizophrenia was just kind of off. That it was just like... It, it, it made me not able to suspend my disbelief. Um, in Because the, the guys didn't have cock rings. <laughs> exactly. Like electric. Like I assume electric. that everybody in every movie is wearing <laughs> one underneath. Unforgiven, uh, because we did it, Groundhog Day, which was on your list. And one that we haven't talked about, but I really liked is Side Effects that I just saw. And I almost put on my list just because I just saw it and really liked it. And I never from saw earlier it. this year. Steve, uh, Steven Soderbergh. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it because I think a lot of people haven't seen this. I, I recommend Side Effects. Yeah, I avoided I the spoilers because I keep saying that I'm going to see it. Oh, yeah. you know what movie? Sorry, uh, the the name is uh, Sliding Doors. I haven't seen that in so long. But do, I haven't do you know seen this movie? I don't think I've ever seen Gwyneth Paltrow and essentially like uh, two parallel sort of timelines in which she becomes a completely different person. Um, I, I don't vouch for the quality of the film. I saw it like ten years ago, but but it's it's interesting. Sliding, I don't remember. Sounds chick flicky. You know, it might have been. I don't remember. I was a different person back then. Well, that's it for today. You know what? We're, let's let's do this. Let's post on Facebook and ask people to give us their top picks. Yeah, give us your top five. Tweet us and post on Facebook. I'm going to post uh, today, and um, and maybe we'll talk about if if you if you tweet us or Facebook us some good ones. We'll mention them on the show. We'll watch them next time. All right. Thank you. Join us next time for a very diverse. Just a very bad wizard.